as a young dad, as I'm sure many of you in this room can relate to, as a young dad, there's a lot of times when you realize you don't know much. When my oldest was really little, just big enough to hold a fly rod, I was certain that he needed to become a fly fisherman. See, I love fly fishing, and I thought that it would be great to take him fly fishing with me, and we would have a great experience together. What I learned was that I liked fly fishing more than I liked helping him learn how to fly fish. And as he would have questions, would need my attention, I would become irritated because he's an interruption to what I love to do. I, I don't know if this has everything to do with it, but I can tell you now, my oldest hates fly fishing to this day. <laughs> I don't know if that had any impact on it, but I, and I don't know how much I changed along the way, but I do know my youngest loves fly fishing, so maybe I learned something along the way that ultimately it's not supposed to be about me. I remember taking my oldest to play golf. He was, he was probably about 12, 13 years old. And it was just he and I playing golf, and we went out to this golf course. I really enjoyed playing golf at that point in my life. And we finished the first nine, and after the first nine, I was two under par. Now, for those of you who don't play golf, that's significant for somebody who's never shot under par before. And I'll never forget coming around that nine, hearing my son say, Dad, I'm tired and ready to go home. I still have that scorecard. <laughs> and all it has is the front nine. It's just a reminder. It's not about me. That's hard. Any way you slice it, when you come face to face with reality, it's really not about you. It's hard. Yeah, we want to find God, and we want to make sure in our right here, right now moment, we find Him. And yes, we want to walk in a relationship with Him where He totally changes our lives, where His grace affects us and we are no longer the same and we are full of joy and the, and the freedom of forgiveness. We want to experience knowing the One who made us and we want to experience being crafted again into the One He created us to be. Yes, it's about finding God right here and right now and yes, it's about loving God and having God change your life and certainly it's about hearing Him him say to you, I want you to follow me and deciding to take that leap of following God. And yeah, every time you take that leap and say, I will follow you, it oftentimes puts us face to face with somebody who needs us to love them. And we have a choice to make. Will we love them in a way that it still looks like it's about us? Or will we love them in a way that it really shows that it's about them? finding God and learning to follow Him in such a way that they can help somebody find God and learn to follow Him. 
You see, until we get to the place as a church family that we recognize that the call of God on us as a church family is not about us, but is largely about us leveraging our lives to help others find Him, until we get that right, we're just going to keep on playing games and getting really irritated that we can't just have the things we want the way we want them. But God wants so much more for us. He wants us to find Him. And He wants us to hear that call to follow Him. And He wants us to be confronted with that person that only we can love and to give our lives to help that person find and follow God. That's not easy. Jesus did not mix words here. He wanted us to know it's not easy. He said that if anyone wants to come after me, you need to deny yourself. You need to take up your cross if you're going to follow me. Because the one who wants to save his life will discover he lost it. But the one who loses his life for my sake will discover he's found it. It's not easy. And until we decide as a church family that we're willing to follow Him and be okay with the fact that it's not about us, it doesn't matter what our vision is. So I just want to help us all walk through the challenge of God's call to follow Him. Let's do it by reading 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm sorry. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And I'll be reading for the New American Standard this morning. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of daily life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to the imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may also obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. We start with the encouragement of being strong or keep on being strengthened in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. There is a critical importance for each one of us to keep on being strengthened in the grace that is in Christ. 
That grace that rescued you and me when we cried out to Jesus Christ and believed in Him as our Lord and Savior. That grace that took us a sinner and washed us clean from all of our sin. That grace that transformed us from the inside out and made us a dwelling place for the Spirit of God so we are never without God. So He's always with us so that we might always find Him and keep on finding Him and responding to His call to follow Him. That grace that changed our lives. That grace is the grace we need to keep on being strengthened in because the life of following Christ requires the strength of grace. Because the life of following Christ is a life of the patterns of God's Word put into your life and prayer put into your life and worship put into your life so that as you seek to know Christ, knowing Him, finding Him results in experiences of confession and repentance so that you're not the same person you were when you found Christ. See, the grace of God is most evident when you're changing when you're walking through the experiences of confession and repentance and becoming a person who God created you to be so you could love that person that God's going to bring into your life that you otherwise would not have ever cared about. You see, God's changing you. He's making you into who He wants you to be so that when you meet that person that needs your love, you're no longer living a life that's just for you. You've been changed and you're living a life to help that person find God and follow Him. Do you hear what the grace of God does in our life when we're strengthened in grace? The grace of God in our lives changes us. Do you hear that? The greatest evidence of God's grace strengthened in your life is when we change and we become who God created us to be. I've not met many people who like change a lot. To one degree or another, we may accept change. We may even say that we like change when the bottom line is we all struggle with some experiences of change. But the grace of God is about change. And if you've decided to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, here's what you've decided. You've decided that as much as you dislike change, you dislike staying the same more than you dislike change. We don't want to stay the same. That's why we trusted Christ, because we want Him to change us, and we need His grace to work that out in us. And when we keep on being strengthened in the grace of God, we are going to be changed more and more and more into the people God wants us to be so that we can live a life that's not about us, but about reaching others, helping them find God and follow Him. We need to keep on being strengthened in this grace that brings about change in our life because when we change and we communicate a message of change, it can create some challenges in our life. Paul actually talks about this in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. He says, Timothy, here's what's going to happen in your life. You're going to suffer because God's going to change you. And then you're going to have a message that God wants to change people. And people are going to hear that message about your change and about God's wanting to change them, and they're going to persecute you. They're going to come after you, and you're going to suffer because your message is one of change. I'm probably doing what uh, is not the wisest thing as a pastor to communicate to the church family that the most telling characteristic of being strengthened by grace is change. 
Do you know what that means? If God, if we believe that God wants to use our church family to reach the half a million people in Williamson County, and I believe that with every fiber of who I am. I don't believe we can do it alone, but I believe that's what God's calling us to do. If we believe that God wants to use us to reach the over half a million people in Williamson County, we're not going to do it by staying the same. So we're going to be a people who is inviting the change of God in our lives and communicating the change God can bring in their lives. And we shouldn't for one moment believe that's not going to be hard. We need to keep being strengthened in the grace of God because not, as, not only is it going to be hard, because it's going to be difficult to encounter people who do not want to change, but there are also going to be people who threaten to change the message. The people will say, you don't have to do that. You don't have to change like that. It doesn't have to be like that. Paul told Timothy, look, there are people who are going to come alongside and say things that tickle people's ears and make them think that they're okay because people really want to hear what really communicates they're okay just the way they are. But the gospel says they're not okay. And that God wants to change them. You're going to face some challenges, so you've got to retain the standard of sound doctrine. You've got to guard the trust that's been given to you. You've got to make sure that you stay true to the message. Because when you communicate change, people are going to want to change the message. Because they don't want to change. In fact, Paul tells Timothy that people don't like the message of grace that involves personal change so much that people will leave the church. Chapter 1, he says, there are some people that checked out. And I've seen it over all my years of pastoring, that when a church begins to change, to reach people, because it's ultimately not about us, but about us reaching people, that there are people in the church that say, I don't want to change like that. And they go to a different church. Now, for the life of me, I can't figure that out. Think about this. Someone says, you're changing something in my church. In the scheme of things, it's not often that big of a thing. And they say, I don't want to change like that. And so what they do to prove that they're not willing to change like that, they leave the church and go to a church they've never been in, leaving all the relationships behind that they spent years getting to know. They leave a history behind that they've, that they've built, and they go into a new place where they have no influence whatsoever, no relationship, and no ability to affect anything in the future, and are subject to whatever that church wants to do. Now, th- just think with me for a second. Which is a bigger change? I, for the life of me, I cannot figure out why somebody in a church who is seeking to change to reach people, would accept a larger degree of change when they say they don't want to change. Please, I'm begging you, do not leave our church because you do not want to change and miss out on the blessing of having walked through that change. And please don't miss the fact that if you're sitting in this building right now, you are already reaping the benefit of someone else years ago walking through the difficulty of change. Because this church family used to meet in another place, in another building, and there was a group of people who decided that God wanted them to buy 
by, by his plan and his work, moved to another location. And they experienced a great deal of change, a great deal of criticism, a great deal of difficulty. And they saw people leave the, the movement of following God's vision. But they stuck to it. And they worked through it. And they got to see this place established right here. And I can tell you for certain, not a one of those people would look at this moment today with the hundreds of people sitting in this room and say that it was not worth it. And I, I, just, I just want us to be a people who are continually being strengthened in God's grace so that we are ready to do whatever it is he calls us to do. And what he's going to call us to do is summarized beautifully in verse 2. He says in verse 2, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here is the purpose God has for you and for our church family. You want to hear the big picture? You want to hear the clear vision? Here it is. We don't know all the details. We don't know all the specifics. All we know is what God has called us to do individually as a church family. And here's what it is. He's called every one of us right here and right now to find him. And in finding him to hear the call that he's placed in our lives to follow him. And in deciding to follow him, love the people around us in such a way that we can lead them to find and follow God so that they can lead someone else to find and follow God. That's exactly what's detailed right here in 2 Timothy 2. And that's exactly God's purpose for your life. That's how he designed you. When you do what he's designed you to do, that's when you come alive. When you leverage your life to help somebody else follow Christ in such a way that they can help somebody follow Christ, you will come alive. That's what we're designed to do. In fact, you would not be in this room if a group of, you know, a dozen to 500 people back when Christ ascended to the throne room of God, you would not be here if a dozen plus people had not decided after Christ ascended that they wanted to help somebody else know God and follow Him. If they'd not made that decision and given their lives for somebody else to follow Him, we would not be in this room enjoying this moment. This is still God's plan for us to leverage our lives to help others find and follow Him. The bride of Christ will never be ready for the return of Christ if the local church is not engaging every resource and every asset and every person and every opportunity to reach people who have not been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is who we are called to be. This is the greatest privilege that we have. We don't know all the specifics. We don't know all the details. But here's what I do know. Every time I see Jesus Christ calling someone to follow him, Peter and Andrew, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Wait a minute, Jesus. We've been fishing for fish all our lives. We have no idea what you're talking about when you say fish for men. Can you give us some details first? That's not how it went down. Jesus just said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Every time all the details and specifics follow in God's timing, in God's way, a decision to lay your life down. I'll follow you. We have three really helpful metaphors in this passage. The metaphor of a soldier. With Jesus as his commander. Jesus issued the command. 
He simply wants to know, will you spend your life getting entangled in everyday affairs? Or will you believe that what I have called you to do is where you'll find life? He's not asking us no longer to go on vacation or uh, enjoy some of the things of this life. He, he's saying, as you do the things I've called you to do, I want you to leverage everything you're doing to reach somebody. You're not living for yourself anymore. You're living for Jesus Christ and His glory. And we have the opportunity to be a people that say, Jesus is our King and this is our land and we're going to take this land because Jesus has called us to love people and to actually lead them to know and follow Christ. It's not about us. The metaphor of the athlete. The athlete wants to win the prize, but understands that winning the prize only happens when you compete according to the rules. Jesus Christ has laid down the ground rules. This is how you get the prize. You want the prize? Yes, we all want it. Our hearts crave for it. That's why we get so wrapped up in, this is about me. But Jesus is saying, if you really want the prize, you've got to die to yourself, and you've got to simply find life in me and live your life for others. Help Someone, find me in all that I've given you to do. That's when you win. He's given us the metaphor of the farmer. The farmer stands at the edge of his field. It's just a dirt field. There's nothing there. And he looks out on that field and he knows that someday there's going to be a harvest that comes out of that dead ground. And when that harvest comes out and he brings in that fruit and he sits down at his table and he eats the first taste of the fruit that came forward, don't you know that that farmer is going to taste something very sweet about the fruit that he was laboring to bring forth? Nothing like the taste of first fruits. Will we stand at the edge of the field of our harvest, this ground before us called Williamson County, and we, will we see something we do not yet see? Will we see that there's coming a day of a harvest where people will come to meet Christ that otherwise would not come to meet Christ? And will we labor as that farmer in that ground that shows no evidence of life, believing that if we labor because of the cause of Christ, Jesus will bring forth fruit, and for us it will be particularly sweet because we gave our lives to it. We don't know the details. But here's what we do know. Verse 7. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We know the one who knows. He knows what he's going to call you to do. He knows what he's going to call me to do. And he knows what he's going to call our church to do. We've worked through some of the details along the way, and we've got a plan to engage our church family so that over the course of this year, we plan and prepare to be able to launch a clear vision in 2020. But it, don't, it won't matter how clear the vision is if we don't make a decision that we trust that Jesus knows and He's going to show us and we're willing to follow no matter what it means for us. It's not easy and that's why in verse 8 we're told to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. Remember Jesus Christ. 
He experienced more change on our behalf than we will ever experience on the behalf of someone else. He gave His life. He died for us. How could we not be willing to accept any change that He asked us to walk into in order to rescue someone else from death? Remember Jesus Christ who died for you, who rose again from the dead so that you might experience life and be willing to follow Him no matter what because there are people in your life that will only hear Christ through you. And so Paul says in verse 10, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. Are you willing to endure all things to help someone come to Christ? I've largely been... um, Broken, selfish, sinful my whole life. And I'm grateful for God's grace at work in me. Changing me little by little. To become more who he created me to be. And it's in that change in my own life. That I've been a part of an adventure. A journey that has brought me here. On the edge of Williamson County. And I want to just give you a little insight into my journey. Not because my journey is more significant than anybody else, because I'm just as broken as everybody else, but I want you to see a little bit of my journey that brought me to this moment. In 2005, I was given the opportunity to spend time with a college student and just to pour out my life into his and help him follow Christ. As I was following Christ, he wanted to be a pastor, and I was able to encourage him in in that direction and spend time with him. At the same time, another young lady in our church was spending time with Lindley, where Lindley was pouring her life into this young lady. And through these experiences of being in the same church, this young man and young lady fell in love. They wanted to get married. We got to help them prepare for their marriage. I got to do their wedding ceremony. And then they, they vaulted off into seminary and went on the way of spending the rest of their life helping others follow Christ. We are so grateful we got to be a part of helping them find and follow Christ. Little did I know 10 years later that God would call that couple back to Southside and he would be the pastor of the church I left, freeing me to fulfill God's call in my life here. That's, that's an adventure, right? It's amazing. Years before that, I could pour my life into another young man's life and and here I am here in, in FBG in Williamson County, and, and I'm spending time thinking through what's happening all around us. I mean, we got neighborhoods moving in around us, we got developments going on, we got road changes out here, we got a big pipeline coming through to get water to Round Rock. I mean, we got all kinds of stuff going on around here. I got a phone call several months ago from this guy who years ago I tried to help follow Christ. He said, hey, man, I just wanted to touch base with you. I didn't know if you knew this or not, but I'm involved with the developer uh, that's putting in all the stuff around your church. And I'm, I'm, I'm in a situation where I know all of the players that are making the decisions. 
And I'd like to get you in a room with all of those decision makers so they can hear your heart for the community, so they can make sure they're paying attention to what the church needs as we develop this area. How does that happen? It's an adventure. When I was in high school, I spent time pouring my life into a junior high kid. So all I did is I tried to every week just get together with this junior high kid and tell him about what it means to follow Christ. I got to be around him and spend time with him. And through high school, I actually got to live with him and I got to pour my life into his as well. Believe me, that was not a perfect effort. It was far less than perfect and pretty dysfunctional on the way. But I tried my best to encourage him to follow Christ. That young man went off to college and he began to help others follow Christ. And one of the persons that he led to Christ, shared Christ with, the other kid came to know Christ as Lord and Savior, began to follow the Lord. I would later become friends with him as well. Well, that kid that my younger friend led to Christ is now the preaching pastor at a little church down south called the Austin Stone. There was another guy later in college that I got to spend my time with, pouring my life into his, and he came to trust Christ and follow him with all his heart, and he began to help someone else follow Christ, and he invested in a young man who's from Austin, not a believer. He came to know Christ and follow Christ. He graduated from college, moved on, and then ended up coming back to become the lead pastor at that same little church down south called the Austin Stone. When they heard that God called me here, you know what they did? They picked up the phone, they called me and said, we've been praying for North Williamson County because we want the churches in North Williamson County to reach North Williamson County. And we believe that your call here might just be a part of the answer to our prayer. And we're praying that First Baptist would lead the way in reaching North Williamson County. How does that happen? It's a journey of a broken man just trusting that the grace of God would change him enough to help somebody else find and follow God. And I just want to tell you there is nothing more liberating than when you decide that it's not about you. But that's hard, isn't it? So hard. We need each other. We need each other. Lindley and I went on vacation years ago. We were in a, a different country. We were out in the middle of nowhere. We'd never been to this location before, and we were going to go on this little hike, and, and I decided that I'd spend some time fly fishing while she was hiking, and so I hiked up to a location where I could do some fishing while she was hiking around and making her way meandering to where I was. We each had a walkie-talkie so that we could talk to each other while she was off hiking and I was there fishing. I'm busy fishing, and she starts calling me on the walkie-talkie, and my first thought is, why is she bothering me? I get on the walkie-talkie, she begins to say something like, I'm not sure where I am right now. She's gotten a little bit turned around on the hike. She's gotten off the path. The weeds and the grass are so tall she can't see her way very far. So she's getting a little bit nervous, and I keep telling her, hey, what, what, where do you see the sun? What direction are you going in? So I'm, I'm fishing. While talking on the walk, you try to convince her it's worth her time to keep trying on finding out where she needs to go while I keep fishing. Well, that didn't go over so well. And it became increasingly obvious that she was really lost and really anxious about being lost. And as that anxiety and fear came through the walkie-talkie, I said, hey, I'm going to run. I'm going to meet you. I'm headed where you are. You just keep moving the direction you're going. I think I know where you're at. I'm coming to get you. 
And so I take off jogging down the path by the river. And I'm moving down there. And out of the peripheral vision of my eye, I see in the river the largest trout I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. To this day, I've never seen a larger trout. And that trout is feeding in that river right there. So I'm running by. I see that, and I immediately stop. And I'm looking at that trout, and I can't believe it. And as I'm looking at that trout, I'm hearing the walking. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And then I get up and keep running. And I go find it. The only reason I did that is because I left my fly rod back (laughs) where I started. I mean, that's that's really true. Uh, I'm a selfish person. I'm a lot like you. We're selfish people. To this day, I do not regret having laid down that fly rod. What I regret is that I didn't do it a lot earlier. God has called us to go find people who are lost. And we take off to go find them. If we've not laid down our lives before the Lord, the world's going to distract us and we're going to miss it. And what I'm asking today is whether or not we can be all in to laying down our life because we want God to use us to find people. I don't want to spend my life being selfish. I want to live my life for the glory of Christ and the spread of the gospel in Williamson County. I just want to do it with you.